Well, hey guys, thanks so much for tuning into the Harbor Teaching Podcast. We hope that the messages you will hear are both uplifting and challenging. And now, welcome to the Harbor. Hello, how's it going? I missed you guys. It's great to see everyone. Um, yeah, since I saw you last, um, my wife Katie and I, we, we had a kid. Um, that was pretty cool. Um, so uh, we, we didn't know what we were having. And, uh, and on a Tuesday night of the 18th, uh, we went into the, or Katie was like, just having a, like, a lot of like, just contractions, but she'd been having a ton of contractions for like two weeks. And so she was almost like, I can't believe that I'm actually having this baby. Like I've gotten my hopes up so many times and it's just not happening. She's like, the baby's going to live inside of me forever is what she said. <laughs> um, and so, but eventually like her parents were in town. And so eventually like we were all like doing all the math and stuff and we're like, Katie, like this is happening. We have to go into the hospital. And uh, so we went, but she still couldn't believe it. She was like, it's not happening. So then uh, we went and walked on the beach for a little while and she got stung by a jellyfish while we were at the beach. And apparently that induced the laborers or something. Because, uh, yeah, we are, we're, we're at the hospital, and then we were there for like six hours. And, um, yeah, then we had a baby. And uh, we didn't know if it was going to be a boy or a girl, and he popped out, and it was a boy. And so we were so excited. His name's Malachi, and uh, he is awesome. And uh, so he's good. Um, Isaiah, which is his older brother, is good too. Um, yes, we, we did name our two sons after two prophets. We have the first one and the last one covered. And so uh, there's, I think, uh, 14 other prophets. So we'll see what happens, you know, over the next 15 or 16 years or so. Um, but uh, anyways, I'm glad to be back with you guys. Uh, I was actually, I was driving by the harbor um, during like last week and I had my son with me and I was like, I'm, I'm tempted to like sneak in and bring him like backstage while Jackson was in the middle of teaching, but I didn't do it. And I kind of wish I had, to be honest. So, um, but uh, you'll meet him sometime. And uh, yeah, thank you guys for your prayers and your encouragement. Um, you, but I am excited. Um, I'm excited because I want to share uh, a message with you guys that, uh, that I'm, I'm pumped to, to talk about. Uh, we did a series called Controversial Jesus in 2019. I did literally just tech, check the teaching podcast, and it's back. Uh, it's up there. Um, and so we talked during that series, we talked about uh, mental health. We talked about um, the, uh, we talked about politics. We talked about Jesus in the spirit world. We talked about hell. We talked about the LGBTQ community and how uh, Jesus uh, feels and cares for the LGBTQ community. And so it was like a really, really, um, I think it was a really powerful series. Um, so I would encourage you guys. Um, I think a lot of those teachings still hold up. We're bringing uh, a new set of teachings. And so there's going to be uh, at least um, five weeks that we're covering uh, some different topics. Um, we're going to be covering during this series. Uh, so just and, and what we've done is we've really looked over the past couple of years what are some of the things that our culture is talking about? What are some of the conversations that our culture is having? And we, as followers of Jesus, um, we believe that Scripture does talk about these things and has something to say about them. And Jesus, um, the Scripture actually says Jesus is full of grace and truth. And so uh, we believe that uh, truth uh, will actually set you free. If you know what the truth that Jesus speaks, it will set you free. And so we want to walk in that truth, but we also want to preach in a, in a gracious way and in a loving way and a compassionate way. And so that's our real heart for this series is that we take difficult and hard conversations and present grace and truth with them. Amen. 
And so uh, what we're going to be talking about over the next five weeks, we're going to be talking about suffering. We're going to be talking about racism, Jesus and racism. We're going to be talking about, is the Bible actually reliable? Can you trust the Bible? We're going to be talking about uh, abortion, pro-life, pro-choice. And tonight, we are going to be talking about deconstruction. The title is Jesus and deconstruction. And so that's what I'm going to be talking about. And for whatever reason, I don't do this very often, but every time I've pictured myself giving this talk, I've pictured myself sitting down to, t to do it. So I just don't know why. That's just, just what I've been picturing. So I'm doing it, okay? I have, a, I have a chair up here. I may hate that and get up halfway through, but that's what we're going with, okay? All right. Let's pray and let's dive in. God, thanks for this time. Thanks for this opportunity that we have to share your word. And God, I pray, um, it says in the scripture that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And so I pray that as I share and as I teach, that you would um, just speak through me. Um, and God, I pray that this would be helpful. I pray that it would be helpful for the folks who are in here who are genuinely trying to follow Jesus and are seeing a lot online of people who are deconstructing or who are, who are walking away from faith. And I pray that if there are people in here who are walking away from faith, who are doubting, who are struggling, who are questioning, I pray that this would be a helpful and encouraging time. And God, most importantly, I pray that you would meet us in this time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, so if you have a Bible, you can turn to two places, and I'm going to get to them in a little while. I'm going to do a little setup, but you can turn to Genesis chapter 11, and you can turn to Romans chapter 1. Genesis chapter 11, Romans chapter 1. Going to be there in just a moment, but I got a few things that I want to talk about. Um, so first off, we're talking about deconstruction tonight. I would guess that um, a good many people in here know what I mean when I mean deconstruction. Who here, like when I say the word deconstruction, raise your hand like you have a general idea where I'm going with that. Okay, not as many as I thought. Okay, ish. Okay, sweet. All right, well, fortunately, I have a slide on the screen explaining what I'm talking about. Okay, so thank goodness for that. Um, the idea of deconstruction, actually, we'll just go ahead and put up that slide. Um, deconstruction, first off, I want to talk about what it's not. Deconstruction is not going through seasons of doubt or struggling or asking questions. Um, and I think all of us who are following Jesus, it's a faith journey. And so uh, emotionally we go through things. Theologically we study things. Um, there's, there's life things that happen to us, circumstances that happen to us. And all of these things can lead us to ask the question, God, are you real? Um, is it crazy what I'm believing? Um, I, I'm, I'm just not feeling it right now. There's all these feelings and emotions and thoughts we have. And um, just, just to be honest, I have them sometimes. Uh, I believe every single person in this room would say that sometimes. Like, man, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm questioning. I'm, I'm, I'm having trouble. Um, my son Isaiah is two, and he's, he's dealing with a lot of, like, temper tantrums right now. And so uh, we, uh, we, we don't want to, like... Uh, crush his little spirit or like tell him he can't feel things, but also like it's inappropriate for him to just scream for 10 minutes straight. And so we're trying to get him to use his words. And so one of the things we're trying to teach him to say is, is this is hard. And so sometimes he'll just be really sad and he'll just be like, this is hard. This is hard. And it's very, very cute. There are times when all of us go through that, when we literally say like, this is hard. And so that's not deconstruction. That's not 
us deconstructing our faith. But what, how I would define deconstruction is deconstruction is rejecting and often publicly rejecting the core tenets of the Christian faith. And oftentimes these tenets are found in Genesis 1 through 3, but there's other places as well that, that they can be found. And so if you look on, and I don't necessarily recommend it, but on Instagram, there's 300,000 hashtags of hashtag deconstruction. Um, there are a lot of videos, thousands on YouTube. There's lots of books being written right now. And the general uh, phrasing of, of, of the, the way this is going and, and the general narrative is I grew up in church, went to youth group, went to Christian camp, and then I was kind of had religion or Christianity rammed down my, my throat. And I, maybe I believed, maybe I was just forced to do it. Um, there's the old joke that um, I had a drug problem growing up. I was drugged to church. Maybe that's where people were at. And so they, um, the, the people are, are at this place where they say, you know what? I, I, I once was a Christian, but now I, I actually have kind of had my eyes open and realized maybe theology is shaky. Maybe um, the, the fact that the Bi is the Bible real is shaky. Uh, maybe I'm questioning things. Maybe I'm, I'm asking, like, like, is everything that I've been taught true? And there are many, many, many people in, in uh, the millennial generation and the Gen Z generation who are saying, I'm deciding not to be a Christian anymore. I'm deciding to, to deconvert. I'm deciding to walk away from faith. And so I want to talk about that and I want to address this topic. I would say that many of you where you're going to experience this, this is where I experience it, is, is online on social media, scrolling through Instagram, scrolling through reels. Um, I'm not on TikTok, but I know that there's a big deconstruction community there as well. And, and they're talking about this is my experience. This is why I'm walking away from the faith um, or even uh, sharing a theology that, that in some ways um, has a connection with, with Christianity, but is not what uh, an Orthodox Christian would believe. And so I have three things that I want to talk about tonight. Um, the first question I want to ask is, did Jesus promote deconstruction? A lot of people in the deconstruction community would say that, that Jesus actually himself w was a deconstructionist. He, he was the first one to deconstruct, if you will. Um, the second thing is, I want to talk about the problem with deconstruction. And then third, I want to talk about how we move forward. And even if maybe you walked in and you weren't necessarily familiar with that term, maybe many of us in here know people who have walked away from the faith, or maybe you yourself are struggling and you're like, man, I, I grew up uh, being taught a lot of things. And now I don't necessarily know if I believe what, what I was taught. Maybe I, I see some things at my old church or in my parents, the way they did things that I disagree with. Or maybe even you just look at the news. You look at pastors who are falling. You look at things that are happening in the church world. And you're like, man, I don't even know if I want to be a part of this. And so for, for wherever we're at, um, I hope this is going to be a helpful time tonight. So the first thing I want to talk about is this. Did Jesus promote deconstruction. And again, a lot of people who are uh, followers of Jesus or who are um, in the deconstruction community, maybe not followers of Jesus, but in that community would say, you know what? Jesus promoted deconstruction. And there's actually um, a lot of sort of Christian leaders right now that they're seeing this deconstruction movement happen, and, and they're trying to sort of 
reach out to those who are struggling or those who are walking away. And because of that, um, they actually are saying, you know what, it's, it's actually can be a really good thing to deconstruct. And the reason it's a good thing to deconstruct is because you're, you're removing the bad stuff of religion. You're kind of tearing down uh, what, what was negative and you're, you're, you're allowing yourself to really um, figure out what's true and pure about your faith. And, and in a very small sense, I think I would agree with that. Um, but in another sense, I, I don't know if I do. Um, but where people get the idea of, of Jesus kind of promoting deconstruction, a lot of it is from um, Matthew chapter 5. And in Matthew chapter 5, uh, actually multiple times, Jesus said this. He said, you have heard it said to those of old, but I say to you. And, and so in the Sermon on the Mount, this is on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus six different times, he quotes either something from the Old Testament law or he quotes a saying that was used in sort of a commentary of the Old Testament law, so a religious saying, and he says, you have heard it said, and then, but I say this to you. So Jesus actually tweaks it, changes it, gets to the heart of it. And someone who promotes this idea of like, man, Jesus is promoting deconstruction, what they would say is Jesus is actually deconstructing here. He is tearing down the toxic religion of the religious elite. He is speaking his truth to power. He is uh, releasing a new grace-filled culture instead of sort of toxic religion that was happening. And that's, that's what they would speak. I, I think I personally have a couple problems with that. First off, um, Jesus, whenever he says this, all six times in Matthew, if you go and look, he actually takes the law and makes it more intense. So he actually says, You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I say to you, if you look with lust at someone, you've already committed adultery. He says, you've heard it said, don't murder. I say to you, um, if you have anger and hatred for someone in your heart, you've already murdered. And on and on. And, and the, the second problem with this idea of like Jesus kind of being this person who is sort of a forerunner for deconstruction is uh, Jesus uh, he actually says that he's not doing that in the Sermon on the Mount. He says this in Matthew 5. He says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So here Jesus is affirming the Old Testament. He's affirming all the scriptures. And he is saying I'm not here to take them away, au contraire. I am here to actually affirm them and to say, yes, they were good. I'm going to fulfill them. I'm going to show you the true meaning of them. And then let's keep reading. It says, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, there's a lot there, but what, what Jesus is saying at the very least is that the commandments of Scripture, when God speaks something, both in the Old and New Testament, it is valuable, and God means what he says. Like that scripture that was written is actually 
like God didn't stutter and he wants us to follow the, the teachings and the ways and the commandments of scripture. So like I, I recently, actually just yesterday, um, someone posted this on, on Instagram, a very uh, popular sort of progressive Christian. He said, God loves you this day exactly as you are and not as someone else says you ought to be. Now, in one sense, this is incredibly true. Jesus does love every single person in here. And as uh, we, we sing when we sing the song, Jaira, like, I will never be more loved than I am right now. God loves every single person in here. And God has such an incredible heart and passion for every person in here. And we can't earn salvation. So there's nothing that we can do to, to earn our way to God. However, God does have a standard that he wants us to keep. God loves us enough not just to keep us where we're at, but he actually loves us enough to want us to grow into the people that he has called us to be. And so the idea of just like, no matter where you're at, no matter what you think, no matter who you choose to be, God is just totally cool with that and he's gonna give us a 100% stamp of approval. It's not the case. That's, that's called the land of make-believe. That's not an actual, authentic reading of scripture. And so what, what, I, what I would say, and, and this is where, where I want you to write this down if you wanna um, write something down to kind of encapsulate what we're talking about here is this, that Jesus affirms both the authority of Scripture and the tendency for humans to distort it. And so Jesus, he says, Scripture is accurate. Like God, when he breathed out the Bible, he truly did say, this is my heart for humanity. This is what I want humanity to know about me, about the history of the world, about the trajectory of the world, about the way they should live. Like, this is my heart. Ultimately, Scripture culminating in Jesus and his person and his redemptive work. But he also, Jesus said, I also affirm humans have distorted this and humans will distort this. In other words, you have heard it said, I'm going to give you the true meaning. Jesus, he, he said this as well in, in uh, Matthew 23. This is a great example of Jesus saying humans distort Scripture. He's talking to religious leaders. He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. So what Jesus is saying is, these religious leaders were so hyper-focused on certain things, in this case, tithing their herbs, so imagine you have an herb garden, and you're gardening. You're getting some dill. You're getting some mint. I don't even know how one gardens for these things. I don't know if I would recognize a mint plant if I saw one. But you do, and you, you have 10 pounds of mint. Again, I don't know if that's an accurate guess for how much you would get off of a mint tree or a mint bush. Who knows? But you have 10 pounds. Like, you got to tithe one of those pounds of mint. That's what they're saying. You got to make sure you do that. And Jesus is saying, you're so focused on tithing your herbs, you've actually lost the heart of what I commanded you to do. And so it's possible for us to distort scripture is what he's saying. It's possible to have a spirit of distorting scripture. And so what does that mean? Well, write this down. I think this is very important. Every generation of Christians from the, the first followers of Jesus and Acts all the way until now, every generation of Christians must repent of the idols of their day 
and they must return towards Scripture in the heart of God. Okay? Every generation has to do that. And that happens individually, and that happens corporately. Now, some people would call this deconstruction. They would say, like, we're deconstructing the negative things, and we're, like, rebuilding. I would say that's not deconstruction. That is just, like, basic Christianity. It's like what we do as Christians. We, we individually, we read the Bible, and we say, wow, I'm not living that way. I need to change my actions. Um, a personal example for me. Over the past couple of months, um, I think just I have um, been evaluating myself and my relationship with my wife, Katie. And my wife, Katie, is amazing. She is not uh, like a, a hypercritical person at all. She's uh, very kind. She's very encouraging to me. Um, but she, she, every once in a while, will like correct me on something. Usually it's like kitchen related or like child rearing related. She's like, hey, you know, don't, you know, feed Isaiah dirt, like that kind of a thing, you know? And I noticed myself like getting just very defensive in my responses back to her. And I noticed, like, because I was getting defensive and because I was kind of putting up a wall when she said something, like, I was, like, kind of cutting off that part of our relationship. And so as I read scripture and as I read about that I should be serving her and I should be um, loving her as Christ loved the church, like, that was a place where I needed to change. I needed to actually reorient my attitude toward her, reorient my, my conversation towards her. And so that's not deconstructing. That's not me, like, taking apart my faith. That's me saying, that's a normal part of my Christian life. I'm repenting of something. I'm changing my action, and I'm moving forward. And corporately, we can do this, too. Um, as Calvary Chapel, um, we have gone through a lot of changes over the past, like, seven to nine months. One example, um, we recognized that there had been times in the past where we had gotten, like, a little, like, inward focused, and we were like, you know what? we kind of are sometimes thinking like we're the only good church in town. And so we've made a conscious effort over the past nine months, and we're continuing to, to say, hey, God is doing an incredible work all around this community, and we want to celebrate many amazing churches, and we've tried to take some action steps toward that and being a loving community. Again, we're not deconstructing our faith. We're not saying, man, is everything about the Bible wrong? We're saying, no, there are certain things that we need to change in order to get closer to the heart of God. Um, I wrote down just a few things that I think, just honestly, as I look at Christianity in our day, there's a few things that, that I think we just have to be honest with about the concerns of what Christianity is, what, what some, of the, some of the things that we're facing as a church culture that maybe we need to do a better job at. Um, there are some of you who have come out of unhealthy and abusive church cultures, hyper-legalistic, super critical. Um, we know that there's some news happening right now about a major denomination that has allowed um, a lot of abuse to happen. Um, and so that's a really, really sad thing. And so that, that's bad. Like that's sinful. That's horrible. And we need to change. Church leaderships need to look at these situations and say, how can we make sure that we set up healthy cultures? How can we make sure we set up places where people can come in and flourish? We need to repent of the things that we're doing wrong, and we need to change action and move forward. 
um, celebrity pastors slash entertainment church culture. This idea of we're going to prop up pastors and kind of make an idol out of them. Or church services, the goal of a church service is to be as fun and entertaining and epic as possible to draw as many people. And we're not going to talk about tough topics because we don't want to uh, scare people off. We don't, we'd rather have private conversations than do it in public. That, that's something that we need to change. Uh, we need to get back to truly what God has called the church to be. Um, that goes along with that is this idea of cheap grace. The idea that, that, yes, God does love us. Yes, God's heart is for us. Yes, every Christian, um, you are saved and you are uh, justified. That means God looks at you and he doesn't see sin. And, and you are raised up and seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. And also for all Christians, we need to learn the path of discipleship. True obedience to Jesus, which Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you need to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. And so grace is a beautiful thing, but we can have a cheap grace where, you know what, whatever you want to do is cool and don't worry about it. God's got you. That's cheap grace. Um, Political polarization, both on the left and on the right, uh, idolizing a certain political party or idolizing certain uh, topics at the expense of the whole counsel of God. And then uh, finally, uh, neglect of the poor. Now, I think that people can be overly harsh on the church about this one. People can say the church doesn't care about the poor. They only care about the unborn, not uh, people after that. And um, I, I think if you look, Christians in general, statistically, uh, do way more compassion ministry than any other group. But I think we can continue to do a better job at that. And so these are just, I'm not talking about a specific church. I'm not like, oh, if you go to, you know, Church of Vieira, like I'm calling you out. Like, no, I'm not saying any of that stuff. Uh, I'm, not, I, I, I'm not saying all these things are horribly going wrong at, at Calvary. Um, there's pockets, I'm sure, within any church where, where these things are happening. But I think those are some things that we can look at them and say, in general, this is uh, things that our culture is facing. And that doesn't mean we tear it all down and Jesus isn't real and we throw the Bible out. That means let's, as a group, as Christians, change and move back towards the heart of God, okay? So my point with that, I said a lot to say, I don't believe that us evaluating where we're at and changing is deconstruction. I think that's basic Christianity, having a humble heart and saying, God, continue to teach us, continue to lead us, that's just called learning and obeying the Holy Spirit, okay? All right, now I want to move on to part two, and I want to talk about the problem with deconstruction. And um, so I asked you a little bit ago to turn to Genesis 11 and Romans 1. We're going to look at Genesis 11 first, and I'm going to read a whole passage from Genesis 11. This is a famous passage. Um, it's up on the screen if you didn't make it there, and uh, it's called the Tower of Babel, if you're familiar with the Tower of Babel. This is... Um, kind of to set up the context, uh, fairly close, at least um, relatively speaking, to when God created the world, um, the flood happened. So uh, after the flood happened, the earth began to be repopulated. And then this is before God calls Abraham to be um, this chosen man who's going to uh, create a nation which is ultimately going to lead to Jesus. And so this is, this is where we're at. And it says this, the whole world had one language and the same words. So everyone's unified together. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Just to make sure everybody's still with me, everybody say Shinar. Shinar. Just, just a fun word to say, I think. 
And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen. Everybody say bitumen. That's kind of a fun word to say too, bitumen. I don't even know if that's even like the right pronunciation for it. Bitumen? Everybody say bitumen. There you go. Let's have fun. Okay. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Let's pause. So everyone's unified together. Everyone makes this plan together. And what they say is we're going to build a tower and we're going to be unified together and we are going to uh, make a name for ourselves. Now, what's interesting is there's a lot in here that shows that they're not being obedient to God. Uh, First off, God, he said, uh, be fruitful and multiply and fill the whole earth. So they're not obeying God by filling the whole earth. They're saying, let's all amass together. Secondly, uh, many scholars believe that the reason that they built this tower is because they were trying to protect themselves against a worldwide flood, which just happened uh, a few hundred years ago um, with Noah. And so they're saying, we don't want that to happen again. And so uh, we're going to build a tower to to sort of ward off this worldwide flood. Now, the problem is God had already promised he's not going to flood the world again. In addition to that, um, they should just trust God and follow God. But they're using self-righteousness. They're using, I don't want to trust. God. I don't want to serve God. I want to build a tower for myself. That's what religion is. Religion is saying, I don't want to trust God for my salvation. I don't want to trust God for my protection. I don't want to trust God to to get me through life. I would like to build my own tower and make sure that I'm taking care of myself. So this is what's happening. And here's what happens. Uh, The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. Keep in mind, the children of man, they're, they're rebelling against God. They're not involving God. And here's what's interesting. God is kind of impressed. It says, The Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have one language, and this is the only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose will be impossible for them. So God is literally saying, like, together, unified, that they're going to do incredible things. Um, and actually, it's kind of funny. Like, I've seen this before, like, Christians like use this verse out of context and they're like, look what God said, together we can do everything. And it's like, literally God is saying that and he's like, so we need to stop them. Like, that's like, so like, like, this is not like a verse where it's like, come on guys, let's rally together and take on the world. Like God, like they're actually doing that apart from God. It's not, it's not like a, like a, like a powerful verse of like Christian unity. We're going to take over the city for the Lord's glory. Like that's not that verse. There are verses like that. This is not that one. It says, the Lord said, behold, they're one people. They have one language. This is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose will now be impossible for them. Come now, let us go down and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there all over the face of the earth and left off the building of the city. Therefore, it was called Babel because the Lord confused the language of the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. So the idea here is that In the Tower of Babel, what's happening is human beings conspire together and they say, we want to build a utopia apart from God. Uh, Mark Sayers, he puts it like this, we want our kingdom, we just don't want the king. So, So in the kingdom of God, there's all these beautiful things that happen. God says it's a kingdom of righteousness, it's a kingdom of peace, it's a kingdom of joy. All of us have a longing in our heart for peace for joy, 
for human prosperity. Uh, we don't want suffering to happen. We don't want uh, bad things to happen to people. We look at the horrible atrocities that are happening in the world. We look at um, school shootings. We look at uh, people being killed. We look at racist acts happening. We look at uh, human trafficking happening. And we say, this is bad. We do not want to live in a world like this. All of us desire that. That's like, that's to be human. I mean, there's, there are humans that, that, that promote suffering. But, but many of us, most of us would say, man, we, we don't want that to happen. The problem is that we're trying to build Babel. We're trying to build a tower to, to fix it apart from God. And so what we discover from this text is that that is actually a futile thing. And just to let you know, like this, this is, like if you've sensed like being online, if you've sensed in conversations, there's this angst happening in our culture. And we're all low-key so frustrated and so anxious and so worried and so like, why is this happening? It's because we're all trying to fix something on our own that we can't fix. This is, this is a great quote from Mark Sayers. He says, what marks the Western secular progressive myth, that's this idea of like, you know what, we can build a utopia apart from God. What marks it is a religious-like belief that human perfectibility and social progression will continue until we reach utopia. So many people that you talk to, many people you see online, many people you interact with, in their hearts and in their minds believe that it's possible for us to achieve a utopia, a kingdom on our own. And if we can just try harder, if we can just figure out the right political system, if we can just uh, accept enough people, if we can just promote certain ideologies, then what's gonna happen is we're gonna build this perfect utopia. So, so what I would say is all the yearning on your Instagram feed, all the, 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 the commenting and the frustration and the bitterness and the cancel culture, all of it at its root is this belief that if you would just think what I think, if you would just believe what I believe, if you would just track with me and if we could all get on my lane, we could build a utopia together. And back in the day, they all had the same language. They were all unified together. That's why God had to divide them. We are divided, but we're all st still trying to move forward in that progression. And so that's where we're at is this, this culture that's saying, man, I want, I want an incredible kingdom. I want the paradise God promised in heaven. I just don't want to follow the way of Jesus to get there. And so that's where we're going to lead. And I told you to turn with me to, to Romans 1. If you are uh, kind of had two places in your Bible, Genesis 11 and then Romans 1. So if you can flip to Romans 1, that's fine. If not, uh, I'll get there in just a minute. Or uh, it'll be on the screen, so, so you can turn there. But, but look with me at Romans 1, verse 20. Now, in Romans 1, 20, Paul is writing, and he's basically doing a diagnosis of the problems that humanity are facing. And this is what he says. He says, God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. What he's talking about is just mankind. Mankind is without excuse. And it says, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened and claiming to be wise, they became fools. 
So, so here's what the scripture is saying. The scripture is saying that every human being has maybe not enough information to, to, well, actually, he is saying this. Every human being has enough information, even without scripture, even without listening to sermons, to at least perceive that there is a God and know that that God can be known. And so what, what God is saying is that through creation, God's attributes and his nature are revealed, that we can look at creation and we can say, I know that there is a divine human being. And then that yearning, that faith, actually can, can produce in people salvation. And so what God is saying here is what Scripture is saying is they are without excuse. No one has, is going to be able to stand before God and say, I didn't know enough. That every person, whether they live here or whether they live out in the jungle somewhere with zero Wi-Fi, every person actually has enough information to know God through creation. And then, through, and then hopefully people are, we're, we're bringing people faith and we're bringing people um, the gospel as well. So what he's saying is even though they knew God, even though they are able to acknowledge that God exists, it says they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And so this is the big idea. The big idea is this, that rejecting God is rejecting reality. Rejecting God is rejecting reality. The, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you want to be wise, the baseline for being wise is admitting that there is a God and admitting that, that he designed the world a certain way. And, and this is why I think that this is really important with this topic of deconstruction. And I realize that I'm, I'm making a very black and white, like drawing a line in the sand here. But I do believe that, that, that this is kind of where deconstruction either starts or where it ends. Is this question of, am I the authority or is God the authority? And the reality is, if, if I'm saying God doesn't exist or God is fairly irrelevant and God doesn't really care very much about reality, then it is okay for me to create my own meaning and for me to create my own reality. Like, we're allowed to do that. If, if, if we're all here by accident, then we're allowed to do that. And, and there are people who come to church, but they live as atheists the other 165 hours a week. And so people are, like, functionally atheists, even though they are theologically, like, they check the box of Christian, and they're living, like, you know what? God is, God is um, not really technically a huge part of my life, and so... Like, I get to be the king of my life. So if, if you're going to live as king of your life, then, then it actually is fine. You can believe whatever you want to believe. You can live by your own rules. Now, the problem is that God created reality in such a way that at some point you're going to run into reality and your life is not going to, to flourish because of that. But, but if God does exist, if God is real, if God did create the world, then he actually created reality in a certain way. And we're going to, we're going to function in the universe better if we say, God, I admit that you created the world, and I would like to abide by the way that you created things. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to suffer. That doesn't mean we're not going to, to encounter hardships. We're going to talk about suffering in an upcoming week. Suffering is a reality on this planet. And so we are going to suffer. Suffering is going to happen. 
but we're living in the light of truth. Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. You live in freedom instead of living in a bondage that you call freedom. And so how do we know kind of the reality of, of what God has, has, has given us? And, and this is where I'll kind of um, start to land the plane. I don't want to take up too much of our time here, but I'll start to land the plane with this, that in Genesis 1 through 3, God, we, we get the creation narrative. And, and it's a beautiful, beautiful place. And if you think about it, every single sermon almost could start in Genesis 1 through 3 because it's actually the kind of the, the, the bedrock of, of where we start to understand Scripture, where we start to understand creation, where we start to understand why did things go so terribly wrong. But in Genesis 1 through 3, we see certain things. We see the sanctity of human life. We see that every single human being, um, and, and life, by the way, does start in the womb. Every single human being created in the image of God. And that as they're created in the image of God, they're valuable because of that. And so every human being, we, we, there, there is a curse that's on you if you shed the blood of a human being because they're that valuable. That's, that's in Genesis 10, I believe, or Genesis 9. So there's the sanctity of human life. We see the reality of gender, that, that God created people male and female, and that intentionally he created you the way that, that he, he created you, that you're not a mistake. The, the definition of marriage is found in Genesis 1 through 3. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. God spoke that in Genesis 1 through 3. Through Genesis 2, Jesus affirmed it, Paul affirmed it. We see the beauty of work. We see the command to care for and cultivate creation that we should care about the environment. We should care about uh, the, the, the entire planet flourishing. We also see the curse of sin, the fact that sin has absolutely wrecked everything that happens based on that. Now, what, what I see happening is that if if we as Christians don't hold fast to these things, and if we say God is not my authority on these things, then once, once we start to remove ourselves from under that umbrella of God's authority, it's easy to let a lot of dominoes fall. It's easy to say, well, Maybe in the name of compassion, I'm not going to believe one of these things. Maybe in the name of a well-spun social media argument, I'm going to take one of these things away. Maybe, maybe in the name of, of, of so-called empathy or so-called like celebrating someone, I'm going, to, I'm going to remove things. And listen, we as Christians, we got to be kind. We got to be loving. We don't name call. We don't disrespect people. Even if people are, are different than us, even if people believe different than us, like we operate with grace and love. And it does sadden me how some Christians can be so stalwart on truth that we're unkind and we're mean and we're rude. And so we gotta be loving. But it is never loving to believe a lie. And it's never loving to affirm a lie in someone else. That's not loving to do that. Now, I just wrote down three things here, three primary reasons for deconstruction. And this is kind of how we'll, we'll wrap things up. There's, we, we can deconstruct because of church hurt. We can look at uh, a big picture situation about church. Or we can even have something that happened to us at a church. And it can be so painful and so wounding and so devastating to us that we just say, you know what, I want to throw everything out. 
Weak theology can also lead to it. We can just hear a lot of inspirational sermons or hear a lot of, of kind of fluff and not really drill down deep into who God is and what God has commanded us to. And that can not leave us anchored. And so we can be tossed about to and fro. In addition to that, and this is a tough thing to say, but people do walk away from God just because they don't want to obey the commands of God. That there is something that for a season is more fun out there, and so I'm just going to choose to, to, to walk away from it all. And instead of enduring the guilt mentally of saying, you know what, I am actually am sinning against God, it's easier to say, I don't believe in God at all, than to actually endure that dualism in your mind. And so that's some of the reason people walk away. So here's the question. How do we respond? I just want to share a couple thoughts with you on this. First off, I think it's so important that we respond by listening and asking questions. Um, we are called to be a loving community. And so if you're solid in your faith and you come across someone who is struggling, who is wrestling, who's doubting, it's so important that we take time to listen to them, to hear their stories. It's easy to slap a Bible verse down. It's easy to, to throw out a, a theological truth. And you know what? Those things, those are good things. And we can do those things over time, but they need to be done in a relationship. It is so cool because even over the past few months here, um, we, we've had some people walk into to our harbor community, and I've been like, man, I hope that our harbor community loves and serves them. And I have seen our harbor community love and serve and, and, and care for people that have, have come from all different walks of life, and I've been so proud of the way that we've done that. So it's a beautiful thing. Um, Amanda, you can, you can come up and, 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 um, and, and, and start playing Mostly just because it's going it's to force me to go, go quicker, okay? So I'm just going to be honest about that. Um, the second just thought that I want to give you as we finish this out is this. We need to forgive people. And especially for those of you who are struggling with the concept of church, with the concept of Christianity, with the concept of faith, it is very easy to let unforgiveness and bitterness move you away from the things of God. And it's easy to say, I got hurt in a church, and so I'm just going to throw out church. I'm not going to believe in church anymore. I'm not going to believe in this faith anymore. And, and let me say something that I think is really helpful. A, a church didn't hurt you. A person hurt you. And I think that's a really important distinction. A church did not hurt you. A person hurt you. Now, there could be a group of people that made a bad decision. And so maybe a group of people hurt you. But, but like, I remember, I've been, I've been at this church for a long time. If you stay around a church for a long time, you're going to get hurt by people at the church. You're going to get disappointed by people at the church. And I remember I was here, and there was a pastor who said something very inappropriate to me. Um, it, was, it was a very, like, abusive statement to say, and it was just highly, like, inappropriate. And, and I mean, it, it was in an office over there. And, I mean, if I want to, I, I mean, I, I actually, I work with the guy who works in that office now. Um, and so... It could be easy to be like, yeah, man, like every time I come in this office, like I'm, I'm triggered by that memory. But, but the reality is what, what I've tried to do, and, and it, it bums me out that it happened. Um, it, it's sad. Um, it's, it's honestly sad for, for that individual. But I've chosen to recognize that, that he was in an unhealthy place and he made a mistake. And 
if he, if, he, if he does make it right, awesome. If he doesn't, he's gonna stand before God one day for that. But, but I don't have to keep carrying it. I don't have to wear it as, as a badge. And, and I realize that, that I'm sure in, in a room like this, there's been some terrible things that people have said to you. There's been, people have been backstabbed. I, I pray this isn't true, but people maybe have been abused. And so I, I'm not making light of the fact that, that this is, that, that something bad has happened. But forgiveness is about you making a choice to set, to forgive that person so you can move forward. God is a judge. God is not going to just gloss over things, but forgive them so you can move forward in your Christian faith and your walk with Jesus. The third thing I just want to think about for a second is just actually read the Bible. Actually read the Bible. Here's what I mean by that. I think it's really easy to sort of buy into um, like sort of just just things people say about the Bible. Like one thing that people says right now is they're like, you know what? Do better church. We need to, we need to do better. We need to get back to, to the original Christian faith. We need to get back to how it was in Acts 2000 years ago. And like, I mean, we, we should try to be authentic and people use that to, you know, bash organized church, uh, to bash a mega church, to, to say like, oh, it's so messed up now. Well, if you read Acts, first off, um, first church was 5,000 people immediately day one. That's mega church. Um, secondly, I'm not saying that, I mean, mega churches are good. Small churches are good. There's not like an ideal size for a church. Uh, secondly, uh, if you read Acts, there's like from like day four of the church, just a super dysfunctional thing. It's always been dysfunctional. There's not like, oh man, like it used to be so perfect and great. And then we ruined it like in the middle, middle ages or something. Like, like here, here's just a list. Uh, there was uh, Acts 6, racism, prejudice, favoritism um, towards uh, a certain group of people uh, and neglect of uh, other group of widows. Um, there was heresy in the church. There was legalism in the church. There was a husband and wife who deceived God and got struck down because of it. Um, there was witchcraft. There was rich people getting drunk off the communion wine before poor people made it to church. Uh, there was a dude sleeping with his stepmom and the church was celebrating it. Like That's like just some basic stuff from the Old New Testament. And so the point I'm trying to make is I think sometimes we can think like, oh man, it's all gotten so horribly wrong. And reality is God has always, like it's been a plan for his church to be a beautiful mess. And he's in the process of refining us. He's in the process of sanctifying us. But I think if we're honestly reading the Bible, then, then we're able to have a better expectation for sin and have a better expectation for what the church is and have a better expectation for leaders and, and evaluate those things. Fourth thing I wanna share is this, just get involved, like we need you. I think especially for people who have a heart to see the church do better, like, like start contributing. Start learning how to follow Jesus more for yourself. Start making disciples. Don't be a spectator, be involved. Like we need people to be involved in the church. And that means you're gonna have dysfunction, that means I'm going to have dysfunction, but that means we're going to move together by the grace of God towards sanctification. And then the last thing, and I really honestly will close with this, is most important thing is believe the gospel. See, the gospel says that it's not about how good we do. It's not about us performing a certain way for God to bless us, but the gospel says that we actually can't do enough good things. We can't build a tower to make it to God. But instead, God loved us enough to come down to us. 
God loved you enough to come down to you. And so maybe you walked in here and you have been around church for a long time and you're just genuinely seeking God and wanting to follow him. And that is amazing. But you need to remind yourself like it's not because you're awesome and because you're on the worship team or you serve or you read your Bible six times that God loves you. It's because Jesus loved you so much that he died for you. While we were still sinners, Christ loved us and Christ died for us. But maybe you walked in here and you felt like, I'm just trying to get my life back on track. I'm just trying to hold it all together. I I made some mistakes, I I walked away, and now I wanna come back. And if that's you, I wanna tell you that God celebrates when anyone comes home. And God loves you so much that he wants to welcome you back. His arms are open, and he is celebrating the fact that you walked in. He is celebrating the fact that your heart is for him. He's celebrating the fact that, that you're ready to come home. And most importantly, he's the one who really initiated that. He's the one who's really drawing you. Maybe you felt like you drove by the church one day and you saw a sign for Harbor Young Adults so you said to come in. Man, there's no accidents. God is drawing you. He loves you. His heart's for you. Believe the fact that Jesus died for your sins and he rose again to bring you into new life. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this day. God, I hope this content was helpful. I hope that the, the, the scripture that we looked at and the way that we spoke, I hope it was helpful to us. But God, I pray that all of us would have a heart to love you, to serve you. I pray that we would first and foremost remind ourselves of the goodness of the gospel. I pray that you would help us to genuinely seek after you, genuinely chase after you. And God, I pray if there are any in here that would say, man, I'm, I'm struggling with doubt. I'm struggling with fear. I'm struggling with, with just believing in the Christian faith. I pray that, that this would be a community where they could be honest about their struggles, where they could share what's going on and where you would bring restoration. God, I, I do pray if there's anyone in here who's far from you, that tonight they would encounter you in a real way, and that this would be a changing point in their life. God, I pray for our friends. There are so many of our friends who are having trouble and they're walking away. And I pray that you would lead some of us to reach out, to have conversations, to love them, to serve them. And God, we do pray that many prodigals would come home. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks so much for spending time with us. If you'd like to know more about The Harbor, please follow us on Instagram at wearetheharbor. Also, if you need prayer, feel free to send us a DM. Otherwise, tune in next time.